Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist, and coach. And I'm a co-host, Davey, aka Davey on the Run. Through our shared knowledge and experience, we unpack the fascinating topic of running. We speak to coaches, athletes, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to help you improve your running. And ensure that you enjoy every step of the way, wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. I told myself that I want to be a runner for life. And so when I, the days I don't run, I feel I saved that run for further in my, down the road in my life. So it's not like it's, you know, you don't fall apart not running one day. It doesn't happen. It's actually good for you. But I find the hardest thing with runners that I coach is convincing them that running easier on the easy days will make them faster in the big picture. Mr. Bart Yasso says, if I can do an 800 meter 10 times in a row with 400 meter rest in between in three minutes, yep. 33, my goal marathon time should be a 333 marathon. That is correct. Nicola. Davide. How are you, my boy? Hey, man, I'm good, eh? I had a nice, a nice 20K track session this morning brought to you by, <laughs> by yours truly. Thank you for that. Davey's getting his legs nice and sharp. And yeah. you? And you? How was yeah, your, how was your I, workout I, this I morning? A, I did a faster track session. I did the <laughs> 18 by one minute repeats. Davey reckons his six minute repeats were better than doing the one minute flat out. Bro, something about doing anything 18 times. Is, it is mental. Especially when you're going full tilt like, like you were going. It's, it was um, one of those that I set out my myself to to go and hurt and hurt i did in the f- <laughs> within the first two i was wow your, your graph was uh, something no, i had to compensate special. but then i managed to push on i was stoked it was a good session and that's what they say you know you got to push your hard sessions hard so that uh you can really get that improvement and don't uh, don't take those easy runs too easy exactly that's exactly. Uh, some of the advice that comes from our, our guest today <laughs> but um uh, before we get on to that i want to just uh, ask davy what is your favorite running experience so far in your running career? What comes to mind straight away? Two Oceans Marathon Two Oceans. That's a that's a pretty epic memory. I, I can I can hands concur. down. Eh? It's just for for me it was it was a run that everything just clicked. Yeah, and it, it wasn't a like it sounds silly, but it wasn't that hard. It was it was fun, um, and I've never had a race before. Like I've run. The marathons, the fast 21Ks, the fast 10Ks, and those all are challenging. you like uncomfortable. It's like not fun. But when you achieve your goal, you like have that sense of reward. Mm. This was just fun. This yeah. was just a joy. Joy and throughout. Joy throughout. And, I'm like, and I've never experienced that before. And I'm like, if every single run could be like that, yeah. then it would be a totally different experience. So that was, that was for me, yeah. hands down, TBC. I, mean, I lived that experience through you for those first 20Ks that I ran with you. And I must say, you always get the crowd hopped whenever we run. You're always the guy that goes and, and shouts at the crowds back, shouts back at them. This time, you were you were giving them horns from the start. I reckon you were waking those Kryptonians up in the morning. I was just having such a blast. Yeah, eh? it was a pleasure to see you, man. And I hope I can do that for comrades, but... Um also, I've been I've been puzzling it out. I don't think that's uh, sustainable for ninety k's. <laughs> that intensity, yeah, we save it for for the last fifty six. <laughs> the last fifty six, yeah, no, the last ten maybe. But that's that's why I wanted to start this conversation by asking you about um, your your favorite running memories because you know we chat with Bart Yasso today, um, the legendary, the the, the mayor the, of running, the mayor of running, and how we came on to <laughs> that's an official Mr. title by the that way. That is the title given to him by. Runner, by running by runners world magazine <laughs> and uh you know we came on to bart as i was just doing some some prepping for my athletes and i was looking at some different sessions to try and do and i came upon this article of the yasso 800s and i started reading up about them and i was like oh this could be a cool workout to start throwing into uh some of these guys and we did and we posted about it and he he replied to our post and that's how we got put onto him essentially. But it was such a enjoyable conversation. Honestly, just just it's definitely one of my highlights. Mm. I mean, I, I have I have, you know, some of my top favorites and immediately after speaking to Bart, it was just like Yeah. I, I think you and I were like, sure. we can't believe that just happened. It was like for Nick and I, who are passionate runners, 
it was just um, it was such a special conversation to have, and the amount that Bart has done for the sport mm. and the amount of knowledge he has. He's travelled all over the world. He speaks so highly of comrades yeah. just by the way which you're going to hear he read us a really inspirational little piece that brought tears to my eyes <laughs> yeah it was a really motivational conversation and it's to remind everyone that he was doing this at a time where running wasn't mainstream you wasn't know? popular yeah. he was talking about running as you know you go to your races and you have people that run because they're racing you know they're trying to compete they're trying to place but now running people just run for the fun of it they run to go places they run to meet people it's about the community that we're with uh, it, there's so much more to running and i feel like he was instrumental to developing that throughout the world yeah definitely. so honestly it was an inspiring conversation and one that i really hold dear to my heart and on top of it you'll hear that he, he he makes reference to certain things throughout the conversation certain pictures things that really are uh, historic and we we have gone through and tried to find the research behind these things and we're going to be putting them up onto our Patreon site. So if anyone is on Patreon and uh, you you want to find out a little bit more about the the history of Mr. Bart Yasso and some of his running journeys and some mementos from them, we'll be posting them up on there. Yeah, guys. Um, I mean, and also Bart's seen it all. He's done it all. It, it's, it's going to be an amazing conversation for you guys. So he is also... If I'm not mistaken, our first American guest. He is. He is our first American guest. So just be prepared for that delightful (laughs) American accent, which we are all very fond of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure, Davey. So I reckon, guys, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show with Mr. Bart Yasso, the mayor running and retired chief running executive of Runner's World magazine. Here he is, guys. Enjoy. All right, we have on the line today uh, a true running legend, um, the the mayor of running, the as mayor. they call it, uh, <laughs> Mr. Bart Yasser. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, thank you so much. I have no idea where that title came from, Mayor Running, but I actually <laughs> like it. I thought I don't know made where it, up. it started. Yeah, I don't know who started or where it started, but I've been hearing it for twenty some years. Well, tell us about that, because I mean, we have obviously just done some research, and that pops up everywhere. Uh, you, you were working, you were quite involved in Runner's World at a stage. Am I correct? Yeah, so I worked at Runner's World magazine for thirty-one years, sure. and part of my deal was to go to events. So I was at roughly fifty to sixty events a year. Uh, I saw a lot of book signings and all kinds of stuff. I saw somewhere that you accumulated about 1 million and something miles over over your period uh, with Runner's World, which is, yeah, which, yeah, which is quite man. absurd. Yeah. I, I always say I had more frequent flyer miles than running miles. <laughs> from the, I mean, I flew all over the world for, you know, well, I was there 31 years. The, the really crazy travel happened in the last 15 years I was there. And uh, I was just willing to, Wherever they wanted me to go, I was I was there. Wow! It was a you know it was a dream come true to be honest to yeah. think that you could use running as a vehicle to travel the world, experience all the different cultures, meet all the people from all over the world, and running was that catalyst. I feel very lucky. Wow, that's that's honestly an incredible story. I think there's uh, so many people get into running for many different reasons, but once the 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 running bug bites, uh, it's fair to say that. What you, what you did is pretty much living the dream, being able to to go and run races all over the world, meet different people, different cultures, and just get an exposure to a, the global running community mm-hmm. at a time where you know social media didn't really connect it as much as it does today. Is that correct? Right, that is correct. And uh, you know, I feel very lucky that I run on the soil of South Africa to run yeah, down I, in Cape Town. I was and going of to, to ask. run the twenty ten yeah. comrades, right? But, yeah, 2010. So, know a gentleman by the name of Bruce Fordyce, as you guys know very well. Yeah, yeah uh, an amazing him. athlete and very clever guy. He's a really funny guest speaker. Yeah, really uh, funny. Yeah, but it was a life changing race for me. It was a race I wanted. I wanted to do comrades when I was faster at that distance, but it just didn't work out. I, I entered it twice, and both times I was sick and couldn't do the travel and do the race. And then when I did it in 2010, I was not in any kind of shape to run comrades. I was uh, <laughs> I was in pretty rough shape. The weekend before 
actually the day before I was going to fly to Johannesburg, I did a local 5K race, and I thought, okay, I gotta, I gotta make sure I can handle this pace. I have to run to get in before the finish line closes down, and I couldn't break 30 minutes for a 5K. Sure. And I thought, oh my God, how am I going to finish Comrade? <laughs> this is going to be problematic. But then the magic happened. Right as I was ready to leave Comrades, I got an email from a South African guy by the name of Bobby McGee. Uh-huh. Well, now he's lived in the state for many years, and he's a running coach. And you know that that saying they always say words matter. The words he sent me matter because the minute I read his email, I said, "Okay, I can pack the comrades. I will finish this race." So I, I want to read what he sent me, and I, I would assume he knew that I was having some physical problems and was not very healthy at the time and not really able to run. But I thought this was 2010 would be my only chance to do comrades, so I was gonna. Give it a try. But this is what he sent me. He said, hey, friend, great wise sage, you will be in my thoughts when you tackle comrades. May the warmth of the KwaZulu-Natal and the people of South Africa drive you ever onward towards that finish line. Savor every moment as you have taught us to do. So you have run the grand marathons and ultras of the world. This is the greatest of all ultras and may rank as the greatest foot race of all time. Being one of the planet's greatest running spirits, you'll be welcomed into its bosom. Even healthy, it examines every fiber of who a runner is. It takes and gives an equal vast amounts. It's a feast of a run, consequences of every imaginable kind. From the moment you hear the shotgun blast to the imploring hands of the crowd at the finish, you will reaffirm no matter what you were born to run this race. Good luck, Bart. May the gods be with you. Draw from that earth, those people, and all those glorious miles you have run on this planet. You will need and love them all. Bobby McGee. Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm, about a, I'm about to burst into tears. Yeah, Yo, that was. Uh, yeah, that was that was. It shook me up. It shook me up when I first read it, and I said, "Man, if this guy believes in me and feels I can get to the finish line, I got to get to the finish line." So I printed it out and I carried it with me in a race, and I thought. If I ever get to that point where I don't think I can get there, I got to break up Bobby McGee's email and read it again, and then start just yeah. getting moving for it. And I didn't run fast. I, mean, I was, I was, you know, like eleven and a half hours. I was way in the back, but I got to the finish line. Thank God. Jeez, eh? but and while while we're on the topic, I'm, I mean, eleven and a half hours. Nick and I have, you know, often discussed. I mean, what's more difficult, you know, running it in seven hours or running it in eleven and a half hours? Because it is just that's uh, the business end. That's the, it's business, the business end. end. You're coming into the stadium, yeah. and it's just hordes of people at that time. <laughs> Lots happens, oh. but um, was it the greatest foot race of all time? You know, I do say that, and uh, you know, I think it's just I say that because of what it's done for the country and what it's done for so many people to show opportunity to be inclusive these days, coming from where it was not inclusive. So I I do believe that, and I get messages from people all the time that say uh because we when i did it runner's world did a big piece on it they they attached a writer was with me for like three weeks uh while i was sure. in south africa and before i went and after i came back home and uh you know so i get these emails that said i'm i'm going to do comrades just because of everything that you said everything i read about it and they say you said it's the greatest race in the world i gotta go do it <laughs> and Every time I get that message, I always follow up with the person. What, how was comrade? What did you think? And every single time, people say it's the greatest race in the world. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and these are, and a lot of times, these are people that have done all six majors and you yeah. know run a lot of races. Uh, and they do claim it's the greatest race in the world. They say it's like Christmas, you know, Fourth of July, your birthday, yeah. your, you know, your wedding day, everything all in one day. And that's how people describe it. So that's pretty special. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's definitely a race that's on almost every single South African's calendar, and a, a topic of conversation that Nick and I always have, you know, with certain guests and, and amongst ourselves, is the fact that it's quite interesting in South Africa. And, and I mean, I want to get your opinion on this because in South Africa, comrades is seen as like you know just a, a rite of passage. If you run, you, you got to run comrades, you know. 
And I mean, right. in, in other countries, you know, you, you build up to a 42K and they often think that, you know, South Africans are absolutely crazy by all running this 90 kilometer race. But um, what do you think of, you know, South Africans being so, so comrades hungry and, and um, so adamant to have to run this race, even though running 90K yeah. is definitely not for everybody? It's not for everyone. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say South Africans are crazy. I would say they are, you know, they just love it. <laughs> and you, you know, it's a race that, you know, like, okay, the Boston Marathon just happened in the States. Yeah. It's a big race. It's been around 127 years. Everyone in America, when you, you know, you say you're a marathon runner, they ask you if you ran the Boston Marathon. But they know very few things about the Boston Marathon other than the name of it and it's a big race. Different with comrades. Like you go to some poor areas in Cape Town or or Durban, and everyone knows about comrades. I mean, yeah. it is really like it's an institution within the, within the country. Like you have to be part of this race, whether you just be a spectator, watch it on TV, or the ultimate, you run it. You know, and I don't know of any other race that has that power like comrades has. That has that power of the community. I, I, I explain it to people, like if you won the Boston Marathon, you can't go to the White House in the United States and go up and knock on the door and say, hey, I just won the Boston Marathon. They, you know, they're going to say, well, you're not allowed in the White House. <laughs> if you win Comrades, you can uh, go see the president and say, hey, I just ran Comrades and won. And you they'll open up the gates, <laughs> give you breakfast, <laughs> give you a big hug. I mean, it really has that kind of power. You know, I just, you know, I could see... Fordyce walking up to Mandela's house, <laughs> you know, just get getting in in the old days when Mandela was around. I would, he'd be welcomed with with open arms. Yeah, no. so it it really is a it is such a cultural thing within the, in South Africa that if you're a runner, you have to at some point you have to run comrades. And I I saw many runners out there that weren't built like a runner; they were yeah. like a rugby person. <laughs> Wide shoulders, you know, really big, but they were running comrades, and you know, with the ultimate goal just to finish. Yeah, the ultimate you're so right. When I was back, when I was back at eleven and a half hours, I was with a lot of people, and uh, you know, if I was faster, so my personal best for fifty miles is a common distance in the U.S. to be run in the ultra world. Yeah, my it's about eighty kilometers, miles, right? Yes. And my PB was six hours, 11 minutes. So that's roughly, like you guys were saying, like about a seven-hour comrade spin. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and it was much harder to do 11 and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> much, much harder. Nick has but, got you, you know, on Sorry, Nick has got you in, in the bottom of our documents. Yeah, he, he's happily put an American conversions chart for us to keep referring oh. to. <laughs> he's got miles versus oh, kilometers. Okay. Fahrenheit versus Celsius, yep. minutes per kilometer versus miles, and altitude and feet yeah. versus altitude and meters. Hey, I've got to be prepared. I've got to be prepared. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so I think the pace for my 50 miles would have been uh, like 425 per kilometer. Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's... And yeah. for, that, for like 80... For like 80... Yeah, 80 yeah like 80... To give you some so sort I know of I could reference... Have, Sorry, Bart. To give you some sort of reference, that that is pretty much the goal time that we go at Comrades last last year. That's sort of the pace that we were trying to go is about four thirty a kilometer on our Comrades day. Uh, so interesting that you, we we are lining with uh, with your paces <laughs> as well at, at oh, your oh, peak oh, of your oh, powers. Well, eh? well, we we tried. <laughs> we tried. We tried. We, tried. we failed. We, we failed. failed. <laughs> but we tried. <laughs> but you try. Well, that's the key of Comrades. You got to try. No, and, you know, when 2010 was supposed to be an up year, which I was excited about. But then when the because of the World Cup soccer, they turned it into a down year. Yeah. Because they wanted to do, they wanted to finish in Durban because of the World Cup. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the race was, I think, the World Cup's first game was like six days after Comrades. Mm. So they were rabid rabid soccer fans already in Durban and they were crazy. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, sure, thought, I'm sure the Vivas were going crazy. Would, yes. They thought uh, 
they'd come out and cheer and yell like for comrades like it was a soccer match. They were they were really enthusiastic when we got close to Durban. They were pretty crazy. It was pretty fun to see. What an incredible experience. yeah, one of my heroes has always been Willie Matolo. Yeah. Because, when the, you know, here's a guy from South Africa, uh, really didn't have that much experience running internationally because of apartheid that, you know, wasn't, South Africans weren't accepted to run internationally during apartheid. So for him to, one of his first international events is the New York City Marathon, and he wins a thing, which I believe that was uh, 90. I think Willie won it was either 93 or 94, somewhere in there. And uh, Willie came up to me after I finished, which was really cool. I turned around, and there's Willie Matolo. And I, I said to him, I said, I was so out of it. I said, you are really Willie Matolo. And he gave me this big smile. He said, yes, part I'm Willie Matolo. <laughs> gave me a big like, bear hug and a kiss on the cheek. I thought, this is the greatest. <laughs> how, how could it get any greater than that? One of your heroes greets you at the finish line went, which is very unexpected. Wow. Now, honestly, I I think the word there that stood out in that conversation was the power, the power that running really has for communities, for cultures, for for people all over the world. And I'd like to get some sort of, uh, as as I mentioned to you in our notes, uh, just some some other experiences from, from around the world that, you know, perhaps you've seen a similar power come through different races and different continents and different uh, countries. Yeah, you know, First time I ran in East Africa, did the Mount Kilimanjaro Marathon. <laughs> and there were very few non-East Africans in the race. <laughs> and uh, when you line up at the start of a race where, you know, 95% of the runners were either from Ethiopia, Tanz- Tanzania, or Kenya. You're Trouble. like, whoa, this yeah. is going to be a fast race. <laughs> so, you know, I would say the heaviest runner outside of myself, I weigh about 160 there may have been the second heaviest runner may have weighed about 140 pounds. Maybe. I mean, everyone was fit and ready to go. And the thing I remember is that, you know, nobody, there was no, didn't matter color of skin, didn't matter what job you had. It was just pure. Let's go out and race. And that, it's, it's just the best feeling. And I thought, here I am. And I always wanted to do a race in East Africa. Here's my chance. So, Lucky for me, I had a good day, <laughs> and I still finished. You know, there were a lot of runners that beat me, obviously, but uh, but it was that cultural thing. You know, I didn't speak Swahili, uh, but I knew some Swahili words. We could communicate a little bit, but but the communication of the joy of running and and the smiles from each of our faces was really priceless. Yeah, I'm sure. To, to have that where you're such so culturally different living in East Africa versus the United States. And, but it, but when we ran, there was no, it felt like there was no difference in culture. We were just out there racing each other and, and enjoying it. Even whether you were ahead of me or behind me, uh, it really didn't matter. I'll, I'll just never forget that. Uh, and I think I, I felt that way, you know, wherever I raced, there were definitely, you know, I raced in India a hundred mile race up in the Himalaya in India where it was, you know, we started in very, very poor little villages. And, but people were excited to see us. You know, I did some running in Mount Everest region the same way that the Sherpas were, Sherpas were impressed that I could run at like 18,000 feet. I don't know, meters wise, it would be, you know, close, uh, yeah, I think it's about four it's and a half, uh, five and a half thousand meters, six thousand meters. Yeah, above sea level. It's high. That's that very, yeah. And high. I remember the the Sherpas were used to that altitude because they live there. They're born there, raised there, and they yeah. they live in those altitudes. But they very rarely see a runner go by. And I was running the trails around Everest Base Camp, and they were every time a Sherpa would see me, they would give me a a big smile and bow out of, you know, it was like respect that I was up there able to run at these, these high elevations. For, for reference, uh, uh, the highest mountains in this country are around about three and a half thousand uh, meters. So, you know, like 11,000 uh, feet or so. So big, big difference to even what you were running yeah. up there. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy where running has taken you. Um, you've also been to the North Pole, South Pole. 
Am I correct? Yeah, Antarctica and Arctic Circle Marathon, Antarctica Marathon in the south, Arctic Circle Marathon in the north. I I have yeah. to ask um, where where haven't you been? Because <laughs> I mean, it's I think it's easier for us to gauge, like because yeah. <laughs> I think you've so, been uh, everywhere. I saw Greenland from the ship, but we didn't touch land there, so <laughs> I, I don't feel like I was in Greenland, but we we're close. But I'll tell you, one of the coolest countries to run in is Iceland. Sure. Iceland's a pretty small country, but they got they got a big marathon in Reykjavik, big for you know the size of the country. Uh, but now they've really gotten into the ultras and running on the trails, and they have a ton of trails. And uh, it's easy to find natural hot springs in, in Iceland. It's a pretty country. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I, and um, so, because now I'm curious. I mean, I mean, you've been everywhere. You've you've run it all. Do you have um, do you have a, a country or a race that that's been your all time favorite? Um, taking obviously comrades out of it, we've we've discussed that. We know comrades are special, yeah. but um, in in your opinion, what what's the, you know? I, I, let's talk about marathons, for for example. I mean, what, sure. what's been your greatest experience? Yeah, the my most favorite running memory is during the Rome Marathon in Rome, Italy, and uh, the Rome Rome Marathon takes in a lot of the city, a lot of the famous sites. Trevi Fountain, the Colosseum, you know, it takes in everything. You run on the Appian Way, which was the way that the Romans came in and the, uh, the way the Olympic, 1960 Olympic Marathon finished in Rome. And there's there's just something about that city and the way they embrace it and the way you get to take it all in on the, the marathon. But for me, it was, it was very special because my mom was there. My sister was on the trip also and her daughter. So it was three generations of my family were along on the trip. And I decided, you know, to start a race that I really wasn't going to race it. I was really, for the first time, going to go to a race and just enjoy the surroundings and not worry about the pace I was running and all that kind of stuff. And so when I saw my mom at Trevi Fountain, I stopped and got a picture with her. And I was hanging out with her and the runners were going by and my mom freaking out like you got you're in a race get running and i said no mom don't worry about it i'll, I'll start running uh we got to get a picture we're probably never going to be in this same spot again so uh and you know i'm looking back you know she's passed away uh see it's 16 years ago that is my favorite running memory just because my mom meant so much to me and you know, I didn't realize it at the time when we took the picture and, I, you know, when I got home and looked at the pictures I had and I said, look at this picture. My mom's smiling and I guess my arm around her. It was really cool. And that's, you know, in the end, you know, winning, I got to admit, winning races was fun to do. But in the big picture, it doesn't mean anything, you know, something like yeah. experience, something like that with my mom. And she was very religious person so going to the Vatican was a big you know that's the top of the list for her mm. and uh, when it, she flew over I, I didn't fly with her I had to go over, over earlier but I made sure she came through Paris so she went to Notre Dame yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean it was and you know I knew my mom at the time she was in her 70s was never going to travel internationally again so kind of neat she got to do this life altering stuff and you know, we got to see each other during the marathon, and I got this picture that uh, will never fade away for me. It's mm. a, and, and the memory that will never fade away. Oh, that's just it. It's uh, it's the special memories that we are able to create through through running, whether it's with our running buddies, our family that supports the, the community yeah. that we run with. Uh, I think those are the moments that do stick with us the most, and I, you know that's that's why for for me and Davey particularly, comrades is one of those. Uh, those special special days because we 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 share so much with it with the rest of the community that we run with. I, yeah. I, I want to ask you. Obviously, creating a running community ha has been a big element of what you were doing with Runners World. I'm sure. assuming going from from race to race to race. You know, it must have been quite grueling on on your schedule, but it must have been so rewarding to to see the running community grow and. How have you seen running grow throughout the years? I mean, because sure. you've been in it for such a long time, you, you'd be the best person to ask. I mean, we I've been running for, yeah. for five, six years, same similar to Davey. I mean, what can you tell us about that? 
Yeah, I've been out of 40, uh, continuous about 46 years. And I, I, I will say one thing before I answer your question. My, my mentor when I worked at Runner's World was always our editor, Ambie Burfoot. He just ran the Boston Marathon a couple of days ago, 55 years after he won the Boston Marathon. Wow. So he's in his mid-70s these days, still running well, ran, you know, like four hours and 40 minutes. He's not worried about his time. He just wants to be out there. And he, he does it every five years on the five-year anniversary of him winning it back in 1968. So, But to answer your question, when I, when I saw the name of your podcast, Making a Runner, I freaked out because that's what it's all about. Yes. You know, how do you, you know, and that's, that's the way I always looked at my job and I always looked at the sport. Like, the changes I witnessed were, you know, women coming into the sport because there were very few women at a, at a road race when we did a road race back when I started, 85%. Now I go to races that have more women than men in it. I mean, that's a really big change. And there's a lot of women that were at the forefront making those changes. Catherine Switzer, uh, Joan yeah. Benoit Samuelson. These people are just incredible how, how many people they inspire. But it really, you know, and then, and then just, how many runners in a race? Like if I did a local 10K race, there may be, you know, maybe there were 200 runners in it. They were all pretty fast, but there were only about 200. Now those races that used to be 200 are now 1,500, 2,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there's people that are just trying to get to that finish line, and that wasn't around in the old days. People went to races when I started. They went to run fast. That was the only thing to do. And now there's people, you know, trying to do all the six majors and they're not worried about how fast they run. They're really worried about just finishing and then accomplishing doing the six majors. So those changes are pretty cool. But if there's one thing, if I had to pick out one thing, it's just the growth of women in our sport. And in in the States, there is more diversity these days in the sports because there's a lot of running groups. Black men run, black girls run. Uh, the Hispanic community, Vamos Run, uh, and they're really just encouraging uh, the people that connect with to, to get out there and run. And then the sport has been accepting the diversity and women and, make, and you know, going with the changes. Uh, you know, I when you think about the, when you look at like the Boston Marathon, how many wheelchair racers they have in the race and how fast they go, that was one guy, Bob Hall, Back in the mid seventies, <laughs> he did the Boston Marathon in a wheelchair that looked like a wheelchair you would take out of the emergency room at your local hospital. That's wow. crazy. I didn't have a racing wheelchair. He literally had a wheelchair. So there was no thing as a racing wheelchair. He had a wheelchair you take out of the emergency room, and he finished the Boston Marathon in under three hours. No, How he did <laughs> no, that? no. We need and to then, Google this. <laughs> yes, crazy. yeah, Bob Hall. And, then, and there's a there's an image out there. You'll see the chair he had. It's unbelievable. Was well, someone and then pushing of course, him from behind? <laughs> no, no, no. The, the, the Boston Marathon people would have freaked out. They told him he had to break three hours, and they had rules for him, just like every other runner. That and then is of course, crazy. We actually found the photo of uh, yeah these these wheelchairs. Oh, oh. No, 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 no. That's, unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So sub three hour marathon in that, eh? Yeah, how could anyone do that? There's some serious then, corners uh, in Boston. I'm surprised that, uh, you know, that yeah. you could handle that. Yeah, and then, of course, a couple of years later, a gentleman by the name of Dick Hoyt came along and pushed his son, Ricky Hoyt, in a wheelchair, and that changed everything. All of a sudden, that became something other people could do. And that was, uh, I think, Dick and Ricky, I believe it was 1980 at the Boston Marathon, the first year. Yeah, 1986 and, it is. Yeah, and Dick had to qualify to get into the race, and he had to qualify pushing his son because they said, okay, we'll let you in the race because he called and said, I want to do the race. And so the story I always heard is they told him he could do the race, but he had to qualify like everyone else. And he said, okay. And I said, oh, and when you qualify, you have to be pushing your son because <laughs> that's what you're going to do in the race. And, and I've always heard that story. I can't believe it. I wasn't. I, you know, I wasn't in on that call, but that's the, yeah. what I always heard. And I said, this guy do it. And then yeah. I probably saw Dick run, you know, a couple of 
couple of years I ran Boston, I saw Dick run like 244, 242 marathon pushing his son. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I think for those that know about the Boston Marathon and the qualifying criteria, it is quite a, a strict qualifying criteria to be able to to go to the Boston Marathon and be able to actually be there. So the fact that now they're asking this individual to do it while pushing pushing his son in a wheelchair is, is quite yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, but thank God he did it because that became such a big thing and yeah. now it's done at races all over the world. That's incredible. And it just takes, takes that one person to have that commitment that idea and then you know it just yeah it just expands to what it is today before asking you something else i just want to mention that there's a guy that we run with here in belito his name is barry holland and he is this year going for his 49th consecutive comrades so hey. <laughs> we're talking of extraordinary people there, there's another extraordinary person that we are able to fortunately run with yeah. on a day-to-day basis he's in his 70s now and he has not missed a comrade since he was in his 20s it's it's quite something as you, know, years. As you mentioned crazy, next yeah. year will be his 50th um but to to move on from uh, what you're saying in terms of the advances that you've seen with with running and the community involved in running uh what do you make of the technological advancements that have come through in running obviously uh, we, we can talk about super shoes and that but i'm talking overall technological advancements with it This episode of Making a Runner is brought to you by Burn Studios. We are excited to be partnering with one of the fastest growing activewear brands on the continent. Just like our podcast, Burns is a proudly local brand with the community at the forefront of everything they do. It's a place where people from all walks of life can come together as a collective and be inspired to live a life of motion. No matter the activity, Burnt is made to move. Become a part of the hashtag orange tag tribe and shop your favorite items online at burnt.co.za or at one of their retail branches in Stellenbosch, VNA Waterfront or Mall of Africa. Yeah, the nutrition has come a long way in nutrition during a race and also fueling during a race. Sure. Because when I started, it was rare. Maybe you had one water stop in a 10 kilometer race. If it was a, a longer, maybe towards the half marathon distance, maybe two eight stations along the way with, with some fluids and no food along the way. Uh, and then the marathon, you know, maybe a handful of eight stations. And now, you know, most marathons have like 28 stations and food along the way, gels, blocks, goos, whatever it is. That stuff changed to the better. And obviously yeah. the shoes have improved tremendously. And, you know, I'm not going to go into the new nah, style <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, just just in general, the shoes have gotten better. But uh, there's a gentleman by the name of George Hirsch who was the publisher at Runner's World for many, many years. And George started running. George is now in his mid-80s. And he was running a lot back in the early days. And he always said, you know, if you <laughs> the shoes they wore were so thin, he said if you stepped on a, on a quarter that was laying on the road, you could tell if it was heads or tails. Yeah. That's how thin <laughs> your shoes were. Yeah, and he just used that as an example. So the the technology has changed all to the better uh, to help runners. The nutrition, I think, is very important because I think we always finished depleted in the old days. In fact, Mm -hmm. I know we finished depleted because we couldn't get enough fluids. And, you know, that was looked at, you know, if you wanted nutrition along the course, they looked at you like it was a weakness. Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, just run. Yeah, that's really what they would say. I remember at the start of the Boston Marathon, the first year I did it in 1982, they were handing out salt tablets. Take this salt and then don't drink any water because water is a sign of weakness. (laughs) I mean, mean, now... Yeah, yeah, fast forward to nowadays, it's like, um, I mean... If you if you're not you know handling your nutrition in the right way, it's also it's 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 also maybe seen as a sign of weakness because you you're not uh, you're not doing it properly. You know, I mean, there's just so much science right. out there that that um, that speaks about you know how to actually you know fuel your body, and it's so important. And I think it's just done so much good for a lot of runners. But but what I do find, yeah. sorry, Bart. What I do find quite interesting off of that point that Davey's making, though, is the fact that nutrition is still one of those things that nowadays runners are late to uptaking. So I find it interesting that even in the older days, it was sort of the last thing that races did start getting into. It's kind of like it's it's the running mantra that's been running for the history of running is, uh, you know, don't look right. at your nutrition. It's the last minute. 
Yeah, and I, you know, now runners use the nutrition and the fluids even in training runs, which was unheard yeah. of in the old Yeah, for sure. Um, and, uh, so, you know, and that that helps you with recovery, keeps you healthier. You know, it, it does so many things, all for the all for the right reasons. Yep. But you know, wasn't that we weren't we weren't? It's not that we weren't smart enough in the old days. It just wasn't available. No exactly. one, no one looked at it that way. It really was looked at like, my God, this guy can't run unless he has coffee and you know something to eat halfway. And like, you know, we just said, what's wrong with this person? Tie <laughs> so, the shoes and go. Yeah. But I want to ask you, you, we're talking about the technological improvements. We're talking about the improvements of running. Um, you've obviously seen some some marathon world records get broken throughout your running uh, life. Uh, tell us a little bit about what, what that's been like, seeing the, the human boundary getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And obviously with Elliot running under that two hour and the Ineos challenge. I mean, is that something yes. that you ever thought you would see in your life? I always said that. <laughs> I in my lifetime I would never see sub two hours. I always said that when that question yeah. first popped up, when the times kept getting faster and faster. And of course, the women have pushed the the bar pretty high too. And I, I, you know, they always say there's. I think it will continue to to improve the world record a little bit yeah. by a little bit. I don't think we're going to see any big gains. And then, you know, it could hit a leveling off period at some point, but. Uh, you know, I don't know. Can can we see like sub two hours for the men and sub two twelve or eleven for women like consistently at races? You know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Kipchoge of Boston this year showed that he is human. Yeah, like sure. he, he can't win just any every race whenever he wants to. Uh, Which I, we all I thought, thought he could. would. <laughs> yeah, I felt the same way. I was thinking that. The Boston course is such an unusual course. I thought maybe he may not run as fast as he normally runs, but I surely thought he could would win the race. But you know, as we know, that that didn't work out. Uh, but but it is incredible how how it has increased, and I believe it's just you know it's it's it takes more than one person running fast when you know when there's ten runners that line up that all have PBs, you know, in the two oh. 202, 203, and then on the women's side, 214, 215. When they when they get out there, whoever has that that perfect day where they're just you just seem like running is easy, like it just comes. And we say some days it feels like you have wings on your shoes, and it's just it's so fluid and so easy, and you're just like this is my day. And then some days I feel like. Okay, my buddies messed around with my running shoes when I wasn't there. They put like Velcro on the bottom. Yeah. Like you just feel like you don't have it. Yeah. When you have that where you just it just your body's just clicking, and you're with that group of five or six, you know, or that have run this these amazing races. That's where these fast races come out of. Well, that's what I and found. And then it takes, quite it takes a- good weather too. Yeah, good weather. It's it's an important. So Boston this year wasn't wasn't the best for what Elliot would have hoped. But I think what we saw in the in the ladies race was just exceptional. Um, to to go so close to the end with a tight pack of ladies uh, pushing the boundaries, and it was such exciting racing. You don't often see that in a marathon yeah. distance. Yeah, I always say that that TV coverage was really well done. I was not at the race live. Uh, but I watched it on TV and the coverage was really well done. And when I looked back on, I said, well, there was another reason why it was such, so well done. There was a race on both, like you said, on both the women's and men's side. You really didn't know who was going to win. And that's what, that's when racing is really racing. Like you, when it comes down towards the end of a race, the thing that's not exciting on TV coverage, if somebody breaks away and wins by yeah. over a minute, that's what you see of soul. One image of a runner running. It's not very exciting, but when you do have these packs and you really don't know, you know, it just shows someone looks like they're going to make a little break, but mm. then it doesn't happen. And that was happening on both men's and women's side, and yeah. you really didn't have a clue. But the woman who won was two-time silver medalist in five thousand meters. Mm. So she obviously had some serious leg speed when it came down to that. uh, (laughs) It was impressive, that sprint. Yeah, but she also had to cover the first 40K 
at a really fast pace to then, you know, really start to put the hammer down on that yeah. last 2K. When you see her, when you saw her just uh, swinging those arms, I, I, I looked at it and I was like, this girl's going to blow because I was just like, that running style is <laughs> that she looks like she's throwing everything at it and uh, obviously with, with her being a track runner it was just her going into uh, that second nature and just absolutely throwing it down but it was so nice seeing what five or six you know uh, females all running and you could see every single one of them wanted that win i, I don't know the, the lady's name okay. who was in, in the yellow uh, and when she fell down and uh, yeah. she, she hit the floor and i was like oh my word and she like sat there for a second and looked up, got up, sprinted. and then there was just this, you know, the sprint. And next thing you know, she was back with the pack. And I was just like, that yeah. is unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. That, that is racing at its best. Like she literally got <laughs> she was like, on the pavement. Yeah. Got up and got up and got on the, and knew she had to connect with that pack or she didn't stand She's a chance. Done, yeah. And she did everything to connect with that pack again and knew that's where she needed to be. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was exciting. I got to be honest. Well, hopefully, as you say, if these uh, top elite athletes do hit that plateau uh, through the technological advancement, nutritional advancements, all their training coming right, we perhaps in the near future, we can see a lot more of that type of racing towards the back end of a marathon. Yeah. Because, man, that, that makes it hell of an exciting for, for the spectator. And that's essentially what the sport needs. It needs, I mean, nowadays, so many people sit and actually watch these marathons on TV, which is which is amazing. I mean, the TV coverage makes it so accessible to sure. everyone, and it, that must do wonders for these races for people to want to go and do oh, Boston, yeah. and you know, yeah, like I, like as much yeah, as we, as much as we love seeing Kipchoge winning everything, it, it is it is also. I mean, everybody loves an underdog, you know, and Kipchoge uh, Kipchoge has definitely proven himself. We know he's. He's a goat. He's done so much for the sport. But I mean, to see somebody, you know, coming up there and going toe to toe, you know, with the likes of Elliot and, and, and those guys up at the front would, would also do a lot for the sport. I agree. Yeah. There was a woman, there was an amazing uh, age group record. There was a woman by the name of Jeannie Rice, 75 years old. She ran 333. Sure. Wow. 75 that is that is unbelievable 333 that is unbelievable because i mean 333 used to be considered a fast time for any woman back when women started coming in the marathon for a 75 year old woman 333 is just incredible it's exceptional yes literally incredible Speaking of, you know, um, a 3.33 marathon, I know, I know of, a, of a training method that <laughs> would allow me to, to guess a 3.33. <laughs> Am I correct in saying if Mr. Bart Yasso says, if I can do an 800 meter 10 times in a row with 400 meter rest in between in three minutes, yeah. 33, my goal marathon time should be a 3.33 marathon. That is correct. Now you have to do the other, the other six days. You got to do some serious training, uh, doing the long run and doing the marathon pace workouts and doing all the yeah. hill workouts and all the other stuff. But yeah, that uh, it's kind of the, the barometer to say, okay, you have the you have the skills to do it. You know, if you're doing the other work, you can hit that three thirty three or three thirty, whatever you're shooting for. Now, did you come? But yeah, up when with that through experience or is that something it was, that it was just it was just in my training logs like i would i love that workout 10 times 800 400 meter recovery i'd do a three mile warm-up do a bunch of strides 10 times 800 400 recovery another uh couple strides and then a three mile cool down uh so it was a you know a hard workout and uh i would write down the average you know, what i averaged in the 800 and uh, then I would do a marathon, and those times correlated. And that's when I said, <laughs> so I told that to Amby Burfoot. And he said, he kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, well, I'm going out to do the workout right now. I'm going to go do 10 times 800 because I'm doing a marathon in three weeks. And uh, he said, Tell he said, in three weeks, follow up with me. So I went out and did the workout, wrote down all the splits, 
did the race. The correlation was there, showed it to Amby, and he said, oh, my God, this is brilliant. We're going to put it in the magazine. <laughs> so it was his <laughs> idea it to put it in the magazine. And then he named him after me, and he named him after me because of, I have an unusual last name. So if my name was Smith, he would have never named him after no, me. Yeah. He would have figured out some name. But he said, this, he said, your last name, Yasso, I never even heard, met another Yasso. He said, so Yasso 800 is yeah. going to stick with people. Oh, it's it, and I said, does. I think you're crazy. But he knew what he was doing because when things like Google became something and Yahoo became something, he would say to me, Yasso is just like Google and Yahoo. Like, it, like it's no one else knows. What a story. I get, pe- I get people all the time. They, they go out and do Yasso 800s. They don't know what it, why it's called the Yasso 800s. Exactly. And then they, but but that's so the thing. Funny. I think we need. I think we need to try and educate a lot more people on the on the Yasso yeah. the Yasso eight hundred. Well, that's how we came into this conversation yeah. with Bart. I mean, what happened is I was yeah. just doing some research. I stumbled upon a Runner's World magazine article and I <laughs> saw this Yasso eight hundred. Now I write the programs for my running club. I so, saw it and I was like, "What? <laughs> so what? The I put hell these Yasso eight hundreds. I knew we were coming close to our marathon, so I put the Yasso eight hundreds in three weeks before the marathon. And everyone's like, "What is this Yasso? What?" is this uh, so we yeah. all ended up doing it and my wife Leah <laughs> well, ended up posting about it and that's uh, Mr. Yeah. Yasu here replied and that's how we came onto this conversation I, I just want to say it's not yeah. a, it's not a nice workout because <laughs> I think Nick Nick decided he was he wanted to run a two twenty marathon doing those <laughs> Yasso eight hundreds, and I was like, "What are we doing here?" It was like all out sprint, and I, it was absolutely crazy. But um, but you know, talking about training and and talking about you know you know all all this effort. Obviously, you've run for many years. You've run all over the world. You've run tons of races. You still run. You know now. I mean. It, it, what what has been important for you in remaining injury free for all of these years during your running career? Yeah, so I always I've always cross trained somewhat. You know, I've done the Ironman six times. I've done a lot of triathlons in my younger days. Casual. Uh, yeah. I've ridden my bicycle across the United States twice by myself, <laughs> solo, unsupported, unassisted, like uh, three thousand miles. I forget the exact kilometers. Uh, so I've always done, yeah, yeah, uh, and I did that in 20 days, you know, unassisted, unsupported, just solo, get my bike and go east to west or west to east, yeah, as you do. Uh, so I've always done stuff like that, and I feel that's kept me in the game a lot longer because, yeah, there's no doubt, especially long distance racing, you know, if you stick with 5k, 10ks, it's not as tough on your body, but. When you do the marathons and the ultras, the long runs are grueling on your body. There's yeah. no doubt about it. But you can do it if you just listen to your body. Don't uh, listen to your body so you don't get injured. You know, your body sends send you signals that something isn't right. And people say, well, the training plan I have says I got to do this. So they go out and do that and then hurt themselves. So, mm. you know, if you're not, if things aren't right, just chill out for a day. Do yeah. a, do an elliptical do something else just to get some exercise so you don't feel like you're falling apart. Yeah, it's one of the biggest challenges that, that runners have, you know, is, is we all become so addicted to uh, to mileage and um, people right. and, and runners often just think, you know, oh, no, I'm going to run through the pain. It, it's fine. And I mean, even even me, I, I, I hate, <laughs> you know, skipping a day, but because you get into such this, this mind frame where you're just like, I got to run, I got to run, I got to run. But I mean... Your your whole point on on cross training. I mean, there's a lot of pr- professional um, athletes. I mean, we we um, interview with Yvette Van Zale, who's a a very popular runner in South Africa. Um, she's come second mm-hmm. at uh, Two Oceans. Uh, but yeah. I, mean, I mean, she also swears by um, uh, cross training, um, and it, it is it is something right. that I, I can I can definitely see a lot of people getting behind and just taking that load off of your body. Yeah, so I. I told myself that I want to be a runner for life. And so when I, the days I don't run, I feel I saved that run for further in my, down the road in my life. So it's not like it's, you know, you don't fall apart, not running one day. It doesn't happen. It's actually good for you. You know? And then, like I say, if you really want to do something, you can do some kind of cross training. But I find the hardest thing with runners that I coach is, convincing them that running easier on the easy days 
will make them faster in the big picture. So running easier on your easier days allows your body to run faster on those quality days, quality days being your Yahoo uh-huh. 800, hill workout, speed workout, long run, marathon pace workout, half marathon pace workout. Running easier will allow you to run faster on the quality days, and that's how you become faster. But it's, but it's counterintuitive to tell a runner, if you run slower, you will become faster. Yeah. Like try to get that runner's mind is really hard to do. But once they understand it and do it and start improving, then they say, okay, now I understand what you mean by saying running slower will make me faster. Running slower on those easy days will make you faster and keep you in the sport a lot longer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is all about running longevity. You know, wherever your running life can take you, uh, we're all into the sport. We enter it with some Everyone enters it for different reasons, but once we get in it, we, we want to stay in it. So the goal is to be yeah. able to run into our old age and, and do it for the rest of our lives. So as you say, I think, you know, being very smart about the way we train is the the most important thing when it comes to running longevity. And if it means, you know, taking making sure that you take it easy on those easy days, a lot of people just don't know what easy is. A lot of people just don't have the right. gearbox to be able to run easy. They can either run or they don't run. So it's one of those right. things yeah, that you are- takes time to develop, correct? It's experience after all. Yeah, you are exactly right. And, and I'll tell you that the Kenyans are a perfect example. They run easy on their easy days. And then when the, the time comes to run fast, they run very fast. But they do run easy on their easy days. They they start out these runs like, you know, the best in the world. And they're running an eight-minute mile. Like, it's they're just, they say, oh, I feel like I'm walking. And that's when they feel they know they're doing the right pace. Yeah. Eight-minute eight mile is about five minutes a K for our, our Yes. And I mean, for yeah. those guys where they, they're racing at three minutes a K, uh, that, that is a yeah. lot slower. You know, that is two minutes a kilometer yeah. slower. Yeah, and they do that especially in the beginning of the run. And then uh, they may run the, you know, they will run a little faster on their easy day, but they really, the overall pace is so much slower than their race pace. And then, you know, they know the day of whatever it's some kind of tempo run or whatever they're ready to go but if they don't do that easy they're not ready for the really quality hard days so would you say that that is sort of like the top tip for an individual who perhaps is resonating with this and wants to run for the rest of their lives would you say that is that is key you got to run your easy days easy yep you got to and then the other thing is a lot of people like you know say during the week you know, on the weekends, you tend to do your longer run. So during the week, a lot of people, they have a set course that they do that's like the pretty neighborhood or in a park or something close to their house, wherever they go. And a lot of people make the same the mistake of running the same course at the same pace. And that does not help you, get, you know, get faster. You have to vary pace and you have to do different courses. Because if you do the same course at the same pace, your body is just in tune to covering that distance at that pace. And, it doesn't, and so then when you try to run faster in a race, your body doesn't doesn't respond because you haven't done that in training. So it's, I always say vary the course, vary the pace. So it's limiting limiting monotony in your in your training as well. Yes. And yeah. Oh, yeah. One way to speak about monotony, this is something that is not monotonous at all. I, be, before we close up, I just want to ask you about the burrow running that, that you have done uh, with the donkeys. Oh. Uh, that, that's, yeah. that's not monotonous, eh? <laughs> oh, that animal almost killed me. You know? <laughs> and when, uh, so the, I didn't own a burrow. When I got it assigned to do this burrow race in Colorado and you go out and run 10 kilometers with a burrow, I'm like, what? Well, I don't know, own a burrow. How do I do that? And they said, no, just go to the race. You'll be set up with the burrow and you'll be good to go. So, so I get there and that, what I found out, they gave me this mean burrow named Taco Bell. And uh, he was really mean to me right from the beginning. And I'm like, hey, I couldn't you. even get control of this critter. I mean, like, and I didn't understand that you have to like be forceful and aggressive with the animal. Cause I'm like, I'm treated like a dog, you know, I'm trying to pet the thing and it's dragging me down the road. I'm like, what is going on here? So eventually I got control and really, you know, was stern with this burrow. And then 
the gun goes off, and these animals take off like it's a mile race, even though it's ten kilometers. And you're at the you have to hang on to this rope that's attached to the animal. I was at the end of the rope thinking, "Oh my god, I'm going to die in a burrow race." <laughs> but then about halfway. The burrows stop, not only Taco Bell, but all the burrows. They kind of don't want to do this anymore. So you end up dragging these animals the last <laughs> part of the race. It was crazy. So I, it was, I, I just it was one of those stupid. things. It was, it was so easy it, on paper in my office. Go to Colorado, run 10 kilometers with a burrow. That was, <laughs> how hard could that be? It was very hard. I said, sitting in my office, looking at what I was assigned to do looked very easy, but doing it in real life was not easy at all. Uh, David turns around and he looks at me. He's like, is, is that a donkey? It's a, it's a donkey. <laughs> but, uh, and he's thinking, is it a burrito? What, uh, what are we talking about? Taco yeah. Bell. Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah. So the burrow, burrow racing is a big thing in uh, the Western part of the United uh, States. It's Crazy. A, that sounds unnecessary. If I'm, if I'm going to be honest, running with a donkey. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, there's a there's a yeah. there's a good book for that. Running with Sherman. Yes. Um, you should give yeah. them a listen. <laughs> yeah, Chris McDougall. Yeah, yeah, he did a he did a great book on it. Brilliant. Uh, Bart, I'm so grateful for you having taken the time yeah, to you. to come on the show today. I uh, honestly think yeah, we we you. covered such a such a nice wide array of running topics, running history. If you have any sort of parting words in terms of where you feel. You know, you've seen where running has come from. You see where running is at now. Do you do you see running continuing on its uh, exponential growth as what we have seen it in the last couple of years? Because I mean, right now it's just everybody's getting into running. It's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to keep growing. I think one of the things that most people don't realize is is you know when I when I left my job at Runners World, I was old enough to retire and ready to retire after. 31 years on the road, I was really ready to settle down a little bit. And all the interviews I did about my retirement, they all said, what, what's the message you want to leave with runners? And I said, I want runners to understand how inspirational they are and that they may, they may, they, they are inspiring people that they never will meet. But someone sees them run by the house or, you know, out on a run and, and they're, they're inspiring people. And I always use this example, and that's what's going to keep our sport going, is this inspiration that that's out there. I always use this example. I got an email from a mom, and her autistic son wanted to be Bart Yasso. And he was a very nonverbal autistic kid, and you know, she, she told me she'd always ask him to talk to, to her, and he wouldn't talk to her. And then one night he started blurting out, he started talking to him. She was writing it down, what he was saying. He, so he was at one of my talks with his mom. He liked that the runners came up to me and talked to me after my talk. And because he said kids don't talk to him at school and people don't like him at school. And he said, everybody likes Bargas. So I wish he was my friend. And I was like, wow, if I, just me being me could connect with an autistic young man to, to help him out. That's stuff that you can't script and you don't even know what's happening. Now, the only way I knew it is this mom wanted me to know what her son said. So she got in runner's world and figured out how to get a hold of me and sent me a message. And, uh, you know, it really reminded me and drove that point home that I've been telling runners for years how inspirational they are. And you may never, I was lucky to find out who I inspired this young man just because I have a platform at runner's world. Uh, which made it easier for someone to connect with me. But not everyone has a platform like that. So just be yourself, be part of the sport, and encourage others. And this sport is going to just keep grow, keep growing. And podcasts like Making a Runner is what it's all about. You guys do a great job. And yeah, thank you Educate, so inspire, and connect. So yeah, keep brilliant. it going, and I guarantee it, of course, the sport's going to keep growing. Yeah, but I mean, on behalf of, of Nick and myself, you know, I, I just, I feel like um, what an honor it's been to, to chat to you. You're, you're such a great custodian uh, for the sport. Um, Nick and myself are head over heels in love with the sport, hence us sitting here all the time I talking to 
runners talking to you know people that have gone through all sorts of journeys and and I and I, I really mean this I feel like you're you are such a great guest for the show and I'm so excited for everybody to listen to this and and just thank you so much for all that you've done for the sports and that you're going to continue doing for the sports and you you certainly do inspire us because yeah just a, a, as two very passionate runners I mean this has been a, a treat <laughs> yeah it's been fantastic but yeah. thank you so much man thank you cheers guys Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. And remember to share with your running buddies. Follow our journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.